everybody. Welcome to season six, episode 19 of The People's Project. It is a pleasure to be back and here today with a topic I am absolutely green about. I'm a little bit nervous to be honest, people. Uh, first of all, let's introduce the panel. Uh, this is David Limbrick here to talk about marijuana. Yes, <laughs> cannabis, yes. So you've been here for many reasons, but today we're talking about marijuana. Uh, the LDP obviously has been pushing for freedom in this area, legalization and so on for a while. Since always, 2001, in fact. 2001, the OGs. It's always made conservatives feel quite uncomfortable about it. And then some of us here who, like me, who don't even identify as conservative but have never tried it, are just like, I don't understand this whole topic. So thank you for coming in to talk about it. Thanks for having me. And a longtime supporter of Discernible, Corinne Gunther. Hello. Hello. What a pleasure to have a viewer here in the <laughs> studio. Is it weird? It is very weird being on this side. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so please tell us, you have, um, you have a shop in the city. I do. I own Smoke Dreams, which is like a boutique smoke shop. Well, it's 40 years in January that wow. we've been around for. You say, hang, hang on, hang on. we talked about your age up there. <laughs> I, I have been the sole owner of the business since October 2019. Oh. Prior to that, I was a part, business, a part owner for a few years. I see, okay. You're too young to have started that. Okay, so your <laughs> shop, Smoke Dreams, you, you don't sell marijuana. No, we do not. That would be illegal. Uh, we sell all the implements that you require if you have access to cannabis. Okay. All right. So I'm feeling very uncomfortable here. I've got people <laughs> well-versed in marijuana. I'm like, it's an evil drug, right? Well, that's exactly what we're going to find out today. Is it this big, dirty, evil drug? Hey, before we get started, I need to do some advertising because there is an electrician who helps us out with all of our electrical stuff at Discernable. In fact, he's on the plaque. If you need an electrician, he's right. He's right there below Secret Salon Society. Tim Jans. Tim is from Orsted Electrical. I'm going to tell you his phone number because he said I could. 0438-306-028. When I go to get an electrician, it's hard to know, like you open the yellow pages. Mm -hmm. I'm dating myself now. <laughs> you, What's the yellow pages? There's not, not even a yellow pages website, right? I, just, I Google electrician Melbourne <clears throat> and you're just like, I'm getting some shonky shark. Some Lebanese guy rocks over and bullies me around and says, I've got to do this and that. I don't know what's going on. Here's one I trust. Tim from Orsted Electrical. There you go. He's a nice guy. He sat in here yesterday, testing and tagging a bunch of our stuff, paying out Daniel Andrews for two hours. <laughs> if that's not enough reason to use this Sparky, what else is there? <laughs> Let's get started with the question we need to answer today. Is cannabis good or bad? Uh, guys, help me out here. Is cannabis good or bad? I've never tried it. Mm-hmm. It's both. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I thought you'd say it's awesome because you're trying to legalize it. You'd say, of course, it's good because you're a shop selling implements. Yeah, to... it, is, it is awesome. It is my community. It is what my business is based on. Uh, my customer base are amazing, but it's not for everybody. It's not good for everybody. Wow. And it can really compound the effects of like mental illness that's already there. So I'm not the kind of person like that advocates like, it's just great for everybody. Okay. Everyone should do it. I don't smoke cannabis. <laughs> so you I used cannabis? to, oh, but okay, I don't okay. anymore. Really? So, but a lot of my staff are very heavy users. Oh. And I have a lot of people in my life in the jujitsu world, because my children do a lot of jujitsu. There's a lot of cannabis users. I am team cannabis, but I'm also team sanity. Like, so how can you how can you be just to frame this discussion we're about to have? How can you be selling into that world and not using? Because 
I know my customer. My staff are constantly using, so if there's something that changes in the way that it's consumed yeah. or there's like a new way yeah. to consume, they will let me know about that. I did only stop using cannabis seven months ago, oh. but prior to that, I was a very light user, very light user. So this is really cool, just to hear nuance for someone who's in, heavily involved in the industry, but also recognizes the nuance of when to use it, not to use it, and currently not using it. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Is it illegal to admit that someone's, you say, oh, I smoked on the weekend? Is it illegal to I use I don't believe so. No, it's, I, it's, well, it's illegal to... Possess, possess it and it. use it, yeah. So, yeah. So we shouldn't say I used it last night. If I did, I shouldn't say that. Yeah. That's well, I don't know if you did. But I've never tried. <laughs> All right. So, um, David, is it? You said both. Yeah. So, uh, can you? What's going on here? Because I, I've been taught my whole life it's evil, it's bad. Which is probably why I've never tried it. Yeah. Look, I agree. Look, I, I think one thing that you that uh, everyone has to acknowledge is that cannabis can cause harm to people. Um, I've met many people who've had. Uh, problems with cannabis. It's not for everyone, as Corinne says, and I totally agree with her. Uh, all drugs cause harm, including alcohol, to some people, and some people can manage these things well, and some people can't. And same as any other drug like alcohol, um, we need to manage that harm. And I think what we're talking about in terms of um, legalization, we're not really arguing whether or not cannabis causes harm, because uh, I acknowledge that it causes harm. What we're really talking about is whether the laws are increasing that harm or not. That's the that's the main point that um, from my point of view. So yeah, but you know, on the on the other hand, many people do uh, con probably most people that do consume it don't seem to have any severe problems. It's mm -hmm. you know, um, many people consume it for medical reasons or recreational reasons, and most people are fine with it. But and well, we, the medical we, we, people are more than fine. Their yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them, some of them have life-changing benefits, and yeah. I've met many people who've had uh, life-changing benefits from yeah. uh, medical use for various conditions. Um, so that's why I say both. Um, it's like any tool, except instead of this case, we're not talking about a tool. We're talking about a, a plant um, that has been so demonised for so long. It's it quite unique. Been. Well, in in reality, it's only been demonized in recent history. Yeah. Um, oh, you mean like the last... In the 20th years? century, yeah. Years, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, because it was used broadly before then. Yeah. Well, yes, well, it was. The best um, thing... I, I went on to try to educate myself before this panel, uh, and I found uh, someone... Dr. Andrew Huberman is from Stanford. He's a neuroscientist who looks into brain research, and he has an amazing podcast I've watched for a while, but he did an episode this month in October 2022 all about marijuana, a long two hours. I encourage you to, to watch it, but let's have a quick listen to how he uh, sees the cannabis, good or bad. It turns out there are instances that we will discuss in which the use of cannabis can be immensely beneficial to one group and yet can be entirely detrimental to another group, even at equivalent dosages and depending on a number of different factors. So we will discuss what those factors are. We are going to really drill into how dosage, that is the concentration of THC relative to CBD, impacts whether or not cannabis is going to have one effect or another. We will also talk about the frequency of use, daily use, multiple times per day use, weekly use or monthly or occasional use. We will also talk about different professions and how some people may have a little bit more leeway in terms of whether or not they decide to use cannabis or any of its various component chemical constituents, that is CBD or THC, et cetera. And 
For other professions, it might be entirely inappropriate because of the particular kinds of cognitive tasks those professions demand. We will also talk about genetic predisposition, again, sex differences, hormone effects, and I will also touch on what I think is the most important variable in determining whether or not cannabis is right or wrong for you, and that is your age at which you are considering starting or continuing use or ceasing use. So cannabis is much more complex than simply, is it good or is it bad? And the good professor summarizes Stanford's research to say that in the end, the safety of cannabis is highly dependent on the age and the frequency of use. Many more people are talking about the positive effects of cannabis without a lot of discussion about the negative effects of cannabis. And I realize that saying this is going to upset some people out there because I know that there are a number of people who fought very hard for the legalization process and I want to acknowledge that. I also want to acknowledge the many known positive effects of cannabis in adults with very occasional use provided it is delivered safely and in the safe context and setting and with legality. That is entirely distinct from the issue of whether or not cannabis is safe for the developing brain and body. It is far and away a different circumstance for the brain for an individual to be 25 years or older and using cannabis in whatever form occasionally or maybe even frequently than it is for a young person aged 14 to 25 to be using cannabis either by smoking or vaping or by edible or any other form on the brain and body. It's absolutely clear that the brain continues to develop at least until age 25, and that a huge number of systems related to mood regulation, so-called executive function, the ability to organize one's thoughts, plan, and execute plans, essentially to become a functional human being, right? That's one portion of becoming a functional human being, but certainly an essential one. All of that relies on the fine-tuning of this neural circuitry that we've been talking about up until now. And it's abundantly clear that cannabis and THC in particular dramatically disrupt those processes. So David, this is concerning because my understanding, all my friends in school, cannabis started young. It's like that 12, 13, 14 yeah. high school. And if he's, the professor is saying that that's probably the worst time to use it and to use it heavily uh, in your development. But that's when we, we all, most of us start or try it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, when, when we're talking about legalization, I don't think that children should have access to it. It should only be for adults, similar to alcohol. Uh, and that is one, I mean, there's a few reasons. One is the ability to make this, this sort of decision should only be for adults. Yeah. But as well, as, as he says, we don't want to mess with developing brains. Um, but clearly prohibition hasn't stopped children having access no, to it, no. right? In fact, in, I would argue in many ways it makes it um, uh, more problematic because you've got children, you know, how they're getting it is through criminal markets, mm, right? Yeah. Um, which is even worse. So, um, yeah, I think it's problematic. So I think we're all on the same page that uh, it seems um, cannabis is, uh, well, it's neither good nor bad. It depends on how you use it. 
Well, one of the reasons why uh, cannabis is being held up uh, as as perfect and this miracle drug, you know, my, when I was doing my research, it's easy to find people who say it's terrible, it's the devil, it will make you psychotic. And then the other side saying, uh, it's amazing, you know, let's legalize it everywhere because it's just perfect. It was hard to find this kind of stuff. Mm. One of the reasons why I think there's been this pendulum reaction is because for decades, well, we said for 100 years, uh, cannabis has been absolutely demonized. In Australia in 2016, the federal government spent $1.7 billion on drug policy. Now, question to the panel. How much, what kind of a percentage do you think was spent on harm reduction and prevention versus just pure crack the skulls law enforcement by, by police in Australia? Uh, I would say less than 5%. Less than 5% spent on harm reduction and yep. prevention treatment. And the rest is just smash the skulls. Law enforcement. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what do you think, David? Shot in the dark. Um, I'd say, yeah, between 5 and 10% at a wow. guess. I so you know. think it's mostly just policing they're spending all this money on? That's a lot of money. Well, It is a lot. You're correct. So this is what they <laughs> spent in 2016, the latest data. It is actually 66% was spent on law enforcement, 22% treatment, prevention 9%, harm reduction 2%. So most of this war on drugs is literally just funding police. Police. Yeah. And just... Enforcement, like it's. Do we realize what we're we're doing here? We're, we're just setting up. They said it's a war on drugs. Well, they've made it a war. And people are living with criminal charges against their name for their whole lives for a minor possession crime. Like, is that so? That's in the U.S., right? Is that here as well? That would be here as well, definitely. Yeah. Well, you, you're allowed to possess now, right? You said to me off. No. No. So no, not no. in Victoria. Only in Canberra. Only in Canberra, which we'll mm -hmm. talk about later. Okay. I think we were discussing the harms of cannabis yep. earlier. Uh, I think we need to acknowledge that the biggest harm with cannabis at the moment is the fact that it's criminal to possess it or yes. trade it. Like that is by far, like a criminal record uh, for the rest of your life Damn. is very, very severe harm. Mm -hmm. um, that is the biggest harm by a mile in my mind. What do you say to the attitude, which the police share this attitude, and a lot of the sleepy Australian shares attitude, well then just don't do the wrong thing. Just don't speed and you won't get a ticket. Just don't possess marijuana and you won't get a criminal record. So you're claiming it's a harm, but it's only harm because these people are naughty and they're breaking the law. Don't break the law. In some cases, yes, but in other cases, for a lot of people, especially with cannabis, it, is, it has been a method of self-medicating. For a lot of people, pharmaceutical, don't work mm. and a lot of people do start by self-medicating with cannabis and now it is medically available but also I was a kid I did naughty things mm. and life is just more fun that way <laughs> it's, it's the way it is there's some some of us it. we all did uh, yeah. naughty things whatever that naughty mm -hmm. thing was I stole from a shop once. But when, when, when you um, get a criminal record, not all of us get a criminal record. Not all of us get yeah. Most of us don't get caught. Mm -hmm. But a few that do, yeah, they're screwed. Which there shouldn't be a criminal record for a kid that's never been in any trouble before. They're not carrying anything on them that could constitute trafficking in any way, shape or form. Mm. Maybe a fine. Maybe mum and dad get called. Maybe a slap on a wrist. Nothing beyond that. It shouldn't be anything beyond that for cannabis, I don't believe. Yeah, I mean, the way that I approach it is the same way that I approach everything. We look at, you know, what's the what's the principles of classical liberalism? And this definitely falls into the principle of uh, respecting bodily autonomy, right? So if you uh, want to put drugs in your body, you should have the right to. Yeah, well, you know, one of the one of the fundamental beliefs of mine and, and our party 
is that um, people have ownership of their own bodies, yes. right? And if they're not harming other people, then the government shouldn't interfere with that. And so that that includes you know many positions that we've taken, and okay. people often wonder why on certain things that we have a certain position, but. Um, you know, in this case, it's a clear issue around bodily autonomy. People should be able, able to decide uh, what they put in their body or what they choose not to put in their body. Um, you know, government shouldn't be forcing people to to um, put things things in their body, and they shouldn't be pro prohibiting people from doing it either. We made a promise at the beginning not to bring up that topic, <laughs> and you're skating dangerously close <laughs> to the vaccine mandates. Whoops. Hey, so um. But just so you're aware, we have no problem talking about vaccine mandates and how evil they are. It's just that we're sick of talking about it. Mm. Okay, uh, I'm going to show you a clip from Channel 9, I think it is. We are. Th this just shows you where our resources are going, uh, even in this state of Victoria, on this war on drugs. This is a bust that they did in southeast Melbourne, which they uh, worked on for like seven or nine months to catch a few people with plants. At the centre of a drug raid, an alleged grower and trafficker turns into a runaway. But wearing high-vis makes it hard to hide. With one down and two to go, the chase was more challenging to find his accomplice in black. Leaping into the house next door, the panicked 28-year-old scaled fences and ran from home to home. I went running after him and then we caught him coming across the vacant block here. Noticeably exhausted, the St Albans man was dogged in his getaway, but was scared off by a resident's rottweiler. He was finally cornered in Matt Bomer's backyard and silently surrendered. He was told by the police officer to be quiet and he listened and he was quiet. With two in cuffs, police then discovered a third man hiding in the roof of the Abayo Crescent home. Inside, they found 185 marijuana plants. Cannabis is not a harmless drug and it does impact the community in a really negative way through crime, mental health issues, through impaired driving issues and violence. The trio has been linked to two other sophisticated hydroponic setups in Narry Warren and Cranbourne East. Their arrest the result of a nine-month-long investigation. We're talking about three complete houses, over 760 plants. The home was purchased two years ago, but neighbours say they never noticed any suspicious behaviour. Cars were always parked in the driveway and they thought a young man lived here, but he was polite and largely kept to himself. But police allege he lived in Seabrook. All three have been charged with cultivating and trafficking a commercial quantity of cannabis and electricity theft. It doesn't matter at what level you are. If you're involved in illicit drug activity, we will find you and we will catch you. It's pretty aggressive. Do, do you, working in the industry, do you have much interaction with the police and how do they see shops like yours, which maybe you're not selling cannabis, but you're selling implements for cannabis. So mm -hmm. do they treat you with a bit of, uh, not aggression, but a bit of disdain? I actually had a group of police in the shop the other day and I, th I got the vibe like it was six rookies and someone who was teaching them. And he brought them into my shop to do like a little training session without asking me. That's just a bit rude. Pointing everywhere, saying um, what this legal, is this? legal, legal. Everything you see in here is legal, but this will give you powers to search. And they treated me like I wasn't even there. Like it was, and you know, one of the rookies was looking at me like, what is going on? <laughs> like, <laughs> this woman has no idea why we're in here. So, what do you mean? So, we said powers to search. So, 
there were certain implements in the shop that they're not illegal to have, but if a police officer was searching your car or your house, I would assume with a warrant or probable cause or whatever it is. That would be the flag. They are then given more powers to search based on that item. Uh, But that's the point of the story here. In my shop, we follow the line very, very strictly. So I am known within the policing community that... I don't sell synthetic, I don't sell crack pipes, I don't sell anything, components on their own. I don't sell anything that gives them a reason to bother me. So they like you then because you're clean? Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Because the attitude within the force is is pretty, as we saw, it's pretty anti-drugs. It would... That's the attitude that's displayed up there. I don't don't think on an individual level in a lot of cases it actually is. And I think a lot of them could care less about the use of cannabis. To me, when I watch that, I think, wow, there's actual stuff going on in the world. Like, why is that on the news for three minutes? Like, whoa, whoa, and why did... was that much resources and time spent on that? Investigation. Yeah. They said nine months, I think. Yeah. 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 There are meth labs, like, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that's, that's the point, though, isn't it? That they're so... I'm seeing a media and political rhetoric mm-hmm. be pushing something up, which you're saying you're not experienced on the ground. I didn't know you were going to tell that story. But that doesn't surprise me because they are, the way, say, a health minister or someone talks about it or the inspector there, mm-hmm. they are heating things up with their rhetoric about this war. And that's what they do. Well, <laughs> if you read the latest uh, police uh, drug strategy, um, which I've, I've looked at it, they're actually quite clear in there that they want... Um, diversion to be used more because police can divert so just give you a caution and you have to do some sort of education or something but they're they're pushing for diversion for people for possession so not for trafficking things like that so i don't think the police want to arrest people for possession and in many cases they do divert it so i mean i don't want to exaggerate the number of people that get busted for possession of cannabis Mm. because in many cases they will just get a diversion or a caution um However, in the case like what we saw there on television, um, this is organized crime operating this. And the way that it's, it's done is that the people usually that are sitting on these grow houses, they're pawns, right? Yeah, so yeah. the organized criminals yeah. will get leverage yeah. over someone. Somehow yeah. they have a debt or something. Yeah. And they say, right, you've got to you know, mine this grow house for us if, yeah. until it's ready to harvest. Yeah. But of course, the people that they catch never know anything about all That's the higher right. ups. They're That's just right. expendable. Yep. And um, so the police will go along, they'll shut down a couple of grow houses, there'll be another 10 and they won't know who the people are or if they do, they're not, they're gonna, not gonna say anything anyway. Yep. So um, it's pretty, pretty awful actually the way that uh, some of these things operate because they're, they're uh, in many cases exerting leverage over vulnerable people. And um, it's a very uh, bad situation for many of these. So help me to understand this. Maybe you're a good person because of the libertarian side of you <coughs> to explore this with. What is the difference? It sounds silly, but I mean it genuinely. What is the difference between that and possession or organized crime, as you say, which you said with a little bit of disdain, like that's not good. Why? Why is it okay to possess a plant in your backyard, but it's not okay to grow... 200 plants and sell them to people look i well i mean i'm arguing that it should be legal to grow plants and sell them to people what i don't like is because it's prohibited because it's against the law 
organized crime uses their methods for production and organized crime, you know, like with any sort of black market, the only, the only way that they have of uh, resolving disputes is with violence, basically. It's like- Okay, violence know, is not good. Yeah, because yeah. they're outside the law, so they in can't a, use courts. In a, in a yeah. legal in a legal market, yeah, you use courts to resolve yeah. disputes and things like that. In a in a in a black market, you can't use courts and things like that. They have some other methods, but ultimately, it's it, it can come to violence, and that that's what we've seen in our drug war in the last you know 20, 30 years in Victoria. You know, all of this, um, the gangland wars and the lawyer X stuff and all the corruption that we've seen. Uh, all of that's pretty much the the root cause of all of that is our drug laws, right? That that you know when you see these gangsters shooting each other and stuff like okay. that that's dispute resolution in a black market. That's how it works. Okay, so that's your problem with argument. Okay, yeah, yeah, because the it, actual- corru- it corrupts our state. Okay, it's hard because having been through the pandemic and all of us engaging in some small levels of corruption, like pushing my kids on the swing, right? And the police coming by and looking away and driving on. It really has brought into question and even beyond that, like people getting illegal haircuts when Mm. you were not allowed to get haircuts if you didn't have a vax passport. I'm starting to question a lot of these things. Mm. And so uh, how does someone, how do the people who are previously center left or center right, not libertarian, and they've been through what they've been through, like me, and suddenly they're feeling more anarchist. Yep. And more disrespect. Are you feeling me on this? Yes. <laughs> more disrespectful of the law. I told a story about a red light issue that I won't repeat on camera. Uh, I got called an anarchist in a suit the other day. Well, you are, right? No, well, not how, 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 do, how, do these, how should these people think who have lost trust in, in, in the courts and the legality and everything? How should they approach this principles of libertarianism and classical liberalism? And, and not fall into just pure anarchy, which is another topic. It's not what you think, actually. Anarchism's not bad at all. But anyway, um, chaos. How do they not fall into chaos, where they just disrespect red lights and everything? Well, firstly, I think it's good that people are questioning the status quo and questioning the laws that mm-hmm. we have. I think that's a good thing. And uh, I think that you know why I'm in politics is to try and change the laws. And the way that I would like to change the laws is to have the laws uh, respect people's choices as long as they're not putting other people in danger. So running the red light, I would say that that is something that should be policed because you are putting other people in danger in that case, right? Sometimes and you're not though. Sometimes your car doesn't trigger. It's 2 a.m. It won't turn. Or on a motorbike, well, this happens to me. that sounds like a fault, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes there are faults yeah, yeah, and, yeah, you, yeah. and you go through well, it. You, you break know, I, would, I would hope that if you explain that to the finds Victoria or whoever that there was a fault that you might get off or something. But, Other um, times it's 2 a.m. and you roll through the stop sign because there's no cars on the street. You're actually mm. not putting anyone in danger. This is a victimless crime. Yeah, in those, in those cases. But I, I think, you know, in the general case, we have to consider whether you're putting someone else at risk or, or harming someone else. That's the, that's that's the, the measure. That's the harm principle. Okay. And that's what that's really the foundation of what um, you know justice and liberalism is is based on is that idea of um, the government only getting involved when you're causing <clears throat> causing harm or potential harm to someone else. Okay, that's helpful because when I pushed my kids on the swing illegally, uh, some thought what I was doing was unsafe and wrong because it was illegal. But if you apply what you just said, am I harming anyone? No, I'm not. Then no. I'm going to push my kid on the swing, and I did. Morali- morality and law 
you know all about this. Like morality <laughs> and law are not are not the same thing. Like most they're of the, they're supposed to reflect. The law is supposed to reflect, and they should reflect that, but they don't. Um, you know, some of the biggest crimes in history were the biggest crimes in history were totally legal. Totally right? legal. Totally legal. Um, just because. Some, something's legal status doesn't necessarily reflect justice or, or, or morality. And um, I'm, we're probably going to talk about some justice issues as well, <laughs> I guess, today. But We will. Before we do that, can I ask your opinion, Corinne, on this, the morality issue? Do, does that feature at all in your shop, in what you sell, in your customers? Because the, the moralizing uh, conservative view would mm -hmm. be not just that it might harm people, but that drugs are wrong. Yeah. Well, I think drugs is a personal choice mm. for adults. So in my shop, it's an over 18 store. We card anyone that looks like they're underage. And then the entire philosophy of the shop is that we are providing implements for use, like quality implements that people can't normally get in Australia to enjoy their drug use that they do hopefully safely. We provide products where they can do safely as mm. well, if that's they're scared about safety. Um, that they can do that in the safety of their own homes or but in their friends' homes. But this is all practical. Homes. You're talking around practical issues, but what, is there any morality? It doesn't have to, but hmm. is there a morality thought that comes into it for you or for your customers? Do you even consider whether this is morally good or bad? Or is that not a consideration? I don't think that drug use in adults is morally bad. Okay. And that's my personal opinion. So I have a shop that's based around it. But I think that drug use in children is bad. I think cannabis use in teenagers can be very detrimental, okay. which is why I made the shop an 18 plus store. It was only an 18 plus store, made an 18 plus store a year after I took over oh, okay. the operation management of the business. But in terms of taking drugs, I really don't see a moral issue with it yeah. if you are not harming other people. And we have this joke in the shop, like some people are good at taking drugs and other people are bad at taking What's drugs. What's bad at taking drugs? Man? Well, if you are prone to addiction and you can't uh, handle the drugs, you should stop taking the drugs. But so we're not for addiction. Okay. But yeah. You're breaking all the stereotypes in my head. <laughs> I want to knock one idea on the head that yep. comes to me all the time, usually yep. from conservatives, yep. that um, uh, legalizing something uh, is like condoning it, right? That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah, just because something's legal uh, doesn't mean that people have to think that it's okay or condone it. Its legal status is different to whether you think it's a good thing or not. Now, I've had conversations with many conservatives about this, and I, I, my, I say to them, if you don't like cannabis and you don't want people using it, I'm totally fine to support your right to free speech, to encourage people to not take cannabis, uh, to to uh, rail against it and do everything you can to, um, you know, try and convince people to, to not use it. But that's a separate issue from the legality. And I think in Australia, we've got this awful nexus that uh, people think that everything good must be mandatory and everything that we think bad is bad right. must be banned. That's so and true. I think we need to break that nexus and say its legal status has nothing to do with whether or not you think it might be a good or bad thing. The legal status should revolve around harm to other people. Wow, that is beautiful segue. We need to, let's get into it. Let's talk about legalizing cannabis and other drugs.
before we get into some examples of what could happen and what is happening here in Australia, we must first define what we mean by legalisation or decriminalisation. Here's the Law Society of New South Wales. So, pingers, weed, coke, eckies, molly, junk, smack, these are all street names for drugs that are illegal in Australia. But you probably know what we're talking about. How? Chances are you've tried one or two of them. The National Drug Strategy Household Survey estimated that approximately 8 million Australians over the age of 13 had tried illicit drugs at some point in their lifetime, and almost 3 million had used drugs in the past year. Millions of Australians are using drugs on the regular, and according to data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, accidental overdoses and deaths are increasing. So the criminal law isn't stopping people from using drugs, or even dying from them. But what alternatives are there? Governments have three options to regulate drug use and try to minimise the harm that drugs can cause. They can criminalise, legalise or decriminalise. So decriminalisation of drugs is taking them out of the criminal system and seeing it as a health issue rather than an issue for police to control and enforce. It's an intermediate step between what we have now for most things in Australia, which the criminal matters, uh, and full legalisation. So where do, we, where do we stand on this distinction here? What does the LDP want to do here? Full legalisation, decriminalisation. Some people say decriminalisation is a really good step towards that and we should do it. Others say it's it's not good enough. What do you think? Yeah, so our position uh, with respect to cannabis is that it should be legalised for adults. Yeah. Um, the, the distinction I'd make is decriminalisation is effectively what we were talking about before with diversion and things like this. Yeah. It doesn't, it, it helps people who are using drugs and uh, not have a record for yeah. possession, yeah. Um, but it does nothing about the supply side of the market. So still the grow illegal. houses and all that yeah. stuff, trafficking, that's all still illegal under a decriminalization model. But it's still a very important step. Like when they decriminalized um, in other cities prostitution and people, it, it was just to save the, the people working in the industry, not necessarily, they were still cracking down on the pimps and so on running the industry, but it was to make sure they don't get a criminal record for just being a prostitute. Yeah, Surely I, we, most people watching would agree on basic decriminalisation. Yeah, I think decriminal, uh, I think for possession, um, decriminalisation should happen for all drugs. Right. And I think there's many people that agree with that. And it's sort of like even the police, it would appear if you look at their drug strategy, they wanted people to be diverted. Um, well, fines as well. So you, apparently they tell you can still decriminalize someone and fine someone for having drugs, but that's not criminal matter anymore. It's a speeding ticket. Here's a yeah, hundred dollar yeah, yeah. fine. Go away. Yeah. Um, yes, but it still wastes a lot of police resources. It doesn't get rid of the organized crime element uh, or, or attack that in any way. And it also doesn't uh, deal with the quality issues, right? So um, when you're buying these things, like yeah. one of the good things about a legal market, and we've already seen how that works, we're gonna talk about medical cannabis later, I guess, yeah. but um, is that you have a normal market with quality control, right? Yes. You have labels on the, on, the, on the tin so that you can yeah. see you know, what the contents are and stuff like that. When you buy it for the black market, you've got no idea. Now, I think with cannabis, a lot of people feel more comfortable than with other pills and powders and yes. things because it's a natural plant and you yes. can see it and you can sort of yeah. see, like you don't have to be a genius to know whether or not it's actually cannabis, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be a genius, but you know, if you've got some pill or powder, God knows what's in it, yeah. um, much scarier. But uh, yeah, we, we support legalization. So having a legal 
a legal market for adults, you know, similar to an alcohol market where you would have distributors and, and um, that sort of thing with rules to not uh, sell to children. Okay. Uh, decriminalisation must be, that must be just a basic, everyone would probably agree on that. Yes. And I, I would love a legal model. Uh, I do not believe that the current Australian government is capable of creating a legal model. What does that mean? So we would need the federal government and all the state governments completely on board, like Nat same cab, ideas. So in America, for example, it is still considered federally a crime. That's weird. And yet some states it's legal. So as a result... Although there's big moves on that recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the States, a lot of the dispensaries have not been able to bank oh, with a bank shocking. for over two decades. Uh, they're dealing with millions upon millions of dollars of cash that they can't bank. Uh, even in Australia, my business is considered a business of bad reputation oh. to... Finance companies. So is it hard for you to get finance and banking and so on? Well, I don't need finance. So, (laughs) but um, we couldn't have credit card facilities on our online store for years. You had to fight. Oh, my bank, my one of the big four that we have banked with for over 20 years and have given hundreds of thousands of dollars to over the years. Personally. Like person- in fees, merchant fees, oh, et cetera. But in a different business, not in cannabis. No, in the same business. Oh, in the same business. Yeah. Uh, they won't, wouldn't allow us to have credit card facilities because then once it's a website and they have their logo on it, et cetera. Oh, of course. I get they it. can't be linked. But that's not a moral decision. That's a bank. It's a, because it can be a criminal thing. Yeah. They just, we can't. Yeah. So I believe the same thing would happen here with dispensaries, if there were dispensaries. And then you're talking about people having to deal with millions and millions of dollars. They still have to pay tax on, but they can't put it anywhere safely. Like, and that's just one of the issues. No, they, they, well, they couldn't bank it in America for years. It's considered. You're right. um, being a part of trafficking I have, for a bank to do that over there. Yeah, I have a clip um, showing exactly what you're talking about. This is the woes faced in the US um, where decriminalization would really help these companies simply be able to bank their cash. But some of them are having to hire bloody, what do you call those things? Security Armored guards. trucks and yep. stuff, and they're handing millions of dollars. Yep, entire houses filled with money. If it became law, cannabis sales would no longer be considered illegal making the banking system accessible to the cannabis industry. For now, these companies face a lot of restrictions, like limited access to capital and financial services like credit cards. I'm the CEO of Canna Provisions. We're a vertically integrated adult-use cannabis company in Massachusetts. With the cultivation and also manufacturing on the way, we basically accept two forms of payment. One is cash and one is a debit card. Sanders estimates that roughly 40% of transactions at her dispensaries involve debit cards. That means the company has to deal with a lot of cash. We have two full-time employees that just manage our cash. We have to use an armored car service in order to move our money from our location to our bank. It's expensive to have this service, but safety is a priority and this is the safest way to do it right now. Even maintaining a bank account can be expensive for cannabis businesses. 
For a typical cannabis operator, the cost for maintaining a bank account can scale up to about $10,000 a month. They've legalized it, and yet under their federal system, it's mm. not legal. Um, although it looks like there's big moves to change that, as the, the President Biden announced recently, they've uh, expunged old possession records federally, and they're looking at a model. So maybe that will change. Um, debanking, though, uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned about your experience with debanking. Um, this is something that we've been actually talking about since I got elected. It's an issue that was brought to my attention initially. Uh, by sex workers. Um, they had trouble with uh, uh, banking services. They were finding that all of a sudden they couldn't even hold transaction accounts and this sort of thing. And then what I discovered was it wasn't just sex workers. It was also happening to uh, vape shops, mm -hmm. uh, gold bullion dealers, uh, firearms retailers, and uh, also uh, shops that sell uh, things, uh, implements for cannabis. Mm -hmm. Now, um, just because the banks are like, you're too risky. So I've met, I've met with uh, some banks and talked to them about this issue. And um, what it is, is they have, uh, there's a lot of federal regulations on uh, uh, anti-money laundering, um, uh, modern slavery reporting and all this sort of stuff and they have to figure out their risk profile. And so businesses that have like uh, gray legality or different laws in different states, like firearms is a good example of that, Very different in every yeah. state. Yeah. Vaping is sort of similar as well. It's sort mm -hmm. of this quasi-legal yeah. thing. Same with um, uh, shops like Koreans. Um, uh, the, the banks, in many cases, because of the legal status, uh, just choose to say it's too hard. Too hard. Mm -hmm. and, and the way that they're dealt with is quite um, quite sinister because what will happen is they'll get flagged, but the bank won't do anything. They'll just let them continue using their services. Mm -hmm. And then what the customer finds is when they want to change their service or add something to their service, like a merchant card facility mm -hmm. or like a loan or, or a separate account, the bank will say, no, we can't do that. And all of a sudden they find out, well, why? And then in many cases, I've had people uh, send me letters from the copies of letters from the bank. The bank says under the law, we don't have to tell you why we're doing this. Um, yeah. And in some cases, they'll just say, you've got to find another uh, banking provider. You've got 30 days. We're going to close down your accounts. We don't have to tell you any reasons. Thank you very much for doing business with us. But that's true. Like that's a, that's a free market. Just go somewhere else. Well, in many cases, they can't. Yeah. <laughs> in many cases, they can't. And it's not, I would argue it's definitely not a free market because the banks are responding in many cases to the legal status and the federal reg regulations, right? The banks are managing their risk based upon the laws. And so this right. is another reason why these things should be properly legalized is so that we don't have these issues with banks seeing it as some weird thing. Now, in the US, it's a bit different because, yeah, it's illegal under federal law and the federal laws uh, are what manages all the banking systems, right? So, you know, they've got this weird situation where at a state level you can do it, and at a f mm. but if you want to use a federal facility or something that's federally regulated, like a bank, mm. then um, the banks just say no. Uh, so, yeah, it's quite... And you can't have competition with the banks competing for that business because they're all under the same legal pressure to... Yeah. They're incentivized. To they're some of them have different businesses. risk profiles. Yeah. yeah. 
there are newer businesses that have seen this hole in the market and mm. are stepping in and Financial saying, businesses. Yeah, oh, yeah, we're going to take the risk. So now I do have credit card facilities on my online store. I bet it costs more. It does cost a lot yeah. more. But you know what? They lobbied me to do my in-store merchant services with them as well. And I said yes, because I knew that if my bank decided we're not going to deal with that anymore, because 10 years ago that happened with a different bank, they just said you can't do merchant services with us anymore. Well, now I've got the one who I know, they know what the business is, they know what's going on. And yes, it costs me more money to be able to do this. Can we but, plug them? Can we see who they are? Uh, they're called Till Payments. Till Payments. And it's a Vic it's actually T-I-L-L. T-I-L-L. It's actually a Melbourne company. They do deal with like BMW and Baby Bunting. They've got some big customers as well, but oh, they are starting to pick up vape stores. Wow. Stores, this is like Tyro who, who came out 10, 15 years ago and started to disrupt You know, Tyro. They're a bit more flexible than the banks. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so that's great to hear. I mean, that's why we use Locals, uh, if you want to support us, discernible.locals.com, because Patreon and all the old stale mm. things like the old banks and PayPal, and they're starting to go. And so we're all looking for alternatives like Locals or Till Payments. Good job, Till Payments. I was kicked off PayPal. Yeah. Through my website, probably about five years ago now. And they also refused to let me have a personal PayPal oh, wow. as a result of that. And any staff members I had that worked on the website, they lost their personal PayPal accounts as well. It's a Salem witch hunt. <laughs> we had the, we had the same the... thing with banks going after um, sex workers. Like they, it wasn't yeah. just their business accounts, it was their personal yeah. accounts. Uh, in, in some cases, their partners and families oh, even. Gosh. It's crazy. Why would you go after... Oh, because they're trying to prevent you being able to under know, know your customer laws. They're trying to prevent you using them as a shadow account holder. That's probably, probably. what their excuse would be. They don't they never say the reasons. They just they don't have to shut them down. <laughs> yeah. Side side question for you. What do you think of debanking okay, I have this theory that no one should ever be debanked. Ever. I would agree. What about terrorists? Because that's what they they do. They shut down accounts related to terrorism. Well the kook is gonna come out in me, but like big companies, American government, like the American government's one of the worst terrorists in the entire world. Yeah, definitely. No one's going to debank them. <laughs> yeah. I know, but if you think of, so Trudeau, right, starts debanking the trucker protest yeah. supporters and starts, I don't know if he said the word terrorism, but he intimated that they're basically yeah. terrorists. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if we should just never debank or de-service like telephone lines to anyone ever. Uh no, I, look, I think companies should be able to, like through freedom of association, going back to principles, they should be able to decide who they associate with. But we just talked about how that doesn't work when you've got a market that's stacked and in, incentivized with the debanking. I, so I think that the free. problem is the laws, not like, I think that these yeah. companies are responding to pressure from the government, either th through direct legislative yeah. pressure yeah. or through you know jawboning, like what yeah. Trudeau's been doing. Yeah. Um, that's what needs to stop initially. Now, if we get rid of that and we do have a real free market, and then we have banks doing this debanking, till then we call them. Up. Yeah, we call them out. Yeah. And we say, well, this one's a bad company and this one's a good company. Yeah. Let the market sort it okay. out. But we're nowhere near that, any anywhere near something approaching a free market, especially in banking. Like it's one of the most yes, regulated areas. Yeah. Like government's fingers are all over it. And and we're and, crying out for more. Every time they screw up, the population says, "Government, go in and do some more regulation." You know what the financial sector really scared of? What deregulation? Really? Yeah. Like I the, thought they wanted for derivatives trading. No, like major banks, like big established yeah, players, yeah. 
when you increase the regulation, that that makes the, the gap between them and the new entrants massive, massive, right? And they've got the legal legal and compliance departments to deal with it all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So actually the more regulation there is, the more it benefits incumbents uh, because yes. it, new yes. people, it's impossible for yeah. them to, yeah. yeah. More regulations just help the company with the, the biggest legal and compliance department right. is the way it works. And what they really fear is if they deregulate and allow more competitors into the market, occasionally they come in and disrupt anyway. Yeah. You know, like we've had, uh, like we were talking about Tyro and Till and there's yeah. lots of other companies yeah. that have done this. Um, this is why when Amazon, Jeff comes out and he's advocating for a heightened minimum wage, I'm like, yeah, I'm, it's because you can, I can't. Yeah. You're screwing me. <laughs> Doesn't he have some of the most unhappiest employees in the entire world? Yeah, the robots. He's trying to roboticize everything. Oh. Get rid of those pesky humans. <laughs> humans are difficult. Shall we go to Portugal? Portugal is held up as the darling of decriminalization because in 2001, they decriminalized all drugs. It's incredible in, in, well, I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's incredible in the sense that there, they reorientated everything to be a health a health-oriented approach. So now, possessing drugs for personal use is treated as an administrative offense. So you can still be fined, but it's not punishable by imprisonment any longer and does not result in a criminal record or the associated stigma. So this happened 21 years ago and drugs are still confiscated when they're, they're found over there and possession, um, you know, as I said, gives you a fine, but uh, it's, it's a very different environment over there. And, and now we can look at that and see, well, how did it go? So I'm going to tell you how it went in, in, in Portugal. Most pro-legalization people just say it went amazing. Uh, we need to copy Portugal, like Colorado and the US quoted Portugal. But I can tell you right now that drug-related deaths, in fact, went down initially uh, for the first five years after decriminalization and then went up and has been relatively stable ever since. Crime is an interesting one. Crime, fairly stable. It has a little bit of a decline and then it just bumps around. Uh, drug use, you would think would go up with decriminalization. Uh, initially it didn't. Uh, it actually was fairly stable with small ups and downs and has increased slightly in previous years. And finally, uh, HIV transmission has crashed, but there'd be a number of reasons for that. Uh, and what else? What else we have? That's it. All right. So, all in all, Portugal doesn't re really serve as well. It you know fixes the problems of society, but it also shows that if you decriminalize drugs, your society does not turn into a chaotic wasteland of drugs everywhere either. So, I found a quote from the architect of Portugal's decriminalization policy, and he says this. It's very difficult to identify a causal link between decriminalization by itself and the positive tendencies we've seen. It's a total package. The biggest effect, however, has been to allow the stigma of drug addiction to fall, fall to let people speak clearly and to pursue professional help without fear. And I'm wondering, um, Corinne and David, if really that's the bigger thing here. We need to help people who are suffering with drug issues instead yep. of locking them up. Yes, and educate them mm. more properly. Like when we were talking earlier about teenagers taking cannabis and do they, all kids do it, that's when they start doing it, the ones that are gonna do it. Mm. Do you think as many kids would take cannabis if rather than being told in education, like drug education, don't take drugs, they're bad. If they were told about 
the effects it might have on their developing brain and cannabis specifically halting development of the brain. Do you think mm -hmm. as many kids would take it if there was a proper educational message attached mm -hmm. or just saying, no, it's bad. Yeah. But I've been to lots of Eastern European countries and Scandinavian countries and to just see, not see people on the street taking drugs or to not be treated poorly when they're doing that. It's, it's, it's a very different feeling. And is it better or worse? It it's feel, better. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I work on Flinders Street all day. I see what drug use does to people and yeah. it's rampant in that area and the way people are looked upon and it's, it's messy and it's dirty and it's not fun to be around. It's not treated the same in European in a lot of European countries. They're treated like they have an illness and they're given help. That's the point, right? Now, would that, would that then lead rise to policies like Fiona Patton's policies of we need to roll out a whole bunch more safe injecting rooms and help people take drugs safely? Yes. Okay. It would. Yeah. It must be hard to say. I know you're not a fan <laughs> of Fiona Patton. All right. Well, uh, I am a little bit. I'm not. I'm not really sure what to think about full legalization, decriminalization. Because do we just roll? Do we just enable and roll out safe injecting rooms everywhere? I mean, I'm not sure they've been a huge success. I don't want safe injecting rooms everywhere, but I think we need more than like one by a school in Richmond. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think with the with the Portugal uh, model where they've decriminalised. Yes, it helps with removing stigma and it helps with treating people with drug problems as, you know, humans and, you know, being and, and is compassionate to that. Um, you said that I, I think you expressed surprise that drug use didn't increase. And I think this is something that um, uh, lots of opponents of decriminalisation or legalisation seem to think that if something's decriminalised, yes. that there will be a massive increase. Now, yes. that implies that there's this large market of people that want to use drugs right now and don't <laughs> because it's illegal. Just because waiting. it's just, yeah, they're just, just waiting. waiting. They're just waiting. They're, they're just waiting for the day it's legal and then they're going to start. And um, I, I just don't, I don't know who these people are because I've never met them because uh, pretty much anyone that wants to get access to drugs can, I think. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't surprise me at all that there wasn't a big change in drug nothing, use. Nothing really changed. I think yeah. one of the real... So it's good what Portugal did. I think mm. one of the big things that is missing, though, in that uh, discussion when we're talking about crime, mm. we wouldn't expect a large decrease in crime, except for possession, of course, because that's mm. no longer a crime. Mm. Uh, because it's not legalized, like mm. in a cannabis model, then you've still got the organized crime still supplying it. So mm. although it does help with the people who have problems with drugs, it helps um, them get treatment and things like this. It doesn't address the organized crime and corruption issues really at all. Uh, so supply side issues. Well, it's a 20 year experiment mm. and it's been going fairly well, I would say. It's got interesting results. Hey. You know, uh, something that we should go to Australia. Let's talk about Australia. Mm. What's going on in Australia? Before we go to decriminalization and legalization, let's talk about medical mm. marijuana, mm -hmm. okay? So we have uh, the world's only full spectrum database. We're the only country to do this. The TGA tracks all prescriptions for medical marijuana in Australia. 
Uh, and these are the stats. So thanks to the University of Sydney, we now know that 250,000 script approvals have been granted since 2016. Uh, so 88% of all prescriptions have been since 2020. So it's a you know exponential curve. And the top two reasons actually, anxiety comes a third, but the top two reasons for uh, prescription of cannabis is pain and sleep disorders. And uh, the demographics, trends younger, 18 to 30, more males than females. And surprisingly, over 50% uh, are in Queensland. So if you live in Queensland, it's a, you're a bunch of stoners. <laughs> <laughs> Medical marijuana. You've done a lot on this. Mm. It's a very, very important medicine. Yeah, for many people, um, they use it for a whole range of conditions um, with varying success. I've spoken to a lot of people who've tried it for uh, pain relief. Um, some people have said it's been a miracle. Some people have said it didn't really work that well. Some people have said, look, it's not as good as other drugs like opiates, mm. um, but I'm not going to get addicted to it like I would with, you know, Endo opiate drugs yeah. and stuff like that, because yeah. um, they're very concerned about that. Um, you know, the big one that it was... Uh, um, touted for initially the big stories was actually for um, children with very serious uh, epilepsy mm. issues and for some of those uh, children um, taking certain blend of cannabis oil uh, actually pretty much cured them and they had these horrific horrific severe epilepsy and this is one of the things that can happen in a legal market when we were talking before about knowing what's in the product, mm. uh, I think earlier there was talk about THC and CBD. Mm. Now, Ratios. in natural cannabis, there's a wide range of cannabinoids. It's not right. just a single yes. component, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, the two largest components of that are THC, uh, tetrahydrocannabinol, which is the, the bit that gets you high, yes. and CBD, cannabidiol, which doesn't get you high. Right. But um, the CBD is actually, for many people, the medical part of it and it has therapeutic yes, uses. Yes. And the, these uh, medical cannabis dispensaries sell uh, oils and flowers, but you know how much THC and CBD is in it. Right. And therefore you can know with some certainty the, the quality of the product that you're taking and whether or not it's suitable for your particular condition because people will take different different varieties of different blends for different conditions. So right. some people might take CBD only. And so when they take that medical cannabis, it doesn't get them high at all. I'm trying to get some CBD because it's legal now, but they're not over the, they're going to be over the counter soon. Yeah, so you can get it through uh, dispensaries and uh, yep, that's totally possible. The idea of an, people using it for wellness in the USA, have you seen this? Influences <laughs> like super healthy, mm. because CBD completely non-psychoactive, right? No high yep. at all. Yeah. And they're taking it for sleep and just general well-being. Yeah. Yeah. When I go to America for a trade show in Vegas each year, every year it's in a huge pavilion, obviously. It just is overcome more and more and more by CBD businesses. <laughs> like, I can't sell CBD. That's not what I'm here for. Yeah. But just more and more and more. Like, it is massive it in is, America. Do you know about the laws here? It's legal now? So it's, right? it has been legal in Victoria for a while now, but it was only legal through buying it through a pharmacy yeah. and it had to be a very specific dosage, yeah. which is a very low dosage. Yeah. 
and no pharmacies ever bothered to stock it. Yeah. So it was legal for Australians to buy it in pharmacies, but they didn't sell it. So we don't have any big CBD offerings here in Australia. But you, you, you can get you it can. on a script. Yeah, you can get it. You can okay. get it through a yeah. script. Like for wellness, though, I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm just curious to try. No, you would need a condition. So I mean, that's what you need to do. But in the US, they're using it for lifestyle. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need THC. I just need CBD. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't so you work can't, you the can't. same for everybody, though. Well, I've never Not tried. everybody has the same outcome. I'm one of the only people I know that if I have CBD, I won't sleep for two nights. It's supposed to help you sleep. I'm oh, aware. Oh, no. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so it's, it's so different for so many different people, and it yeah. depends what dosage you're getting, and it depends on whether or not it has been made in a reputable way. Look, there's a lot of hype about CBD, and certainly it's very... Um, some people find it very useful mm. for certain conditions. I would stress as well, though, I, w I wouldn't want to get too carried away with it. Like, you know, there, there's not a lot of long-term data on this. Okay. So we're still, I think, because of the prohibition that's happened, you know, over the last century on cannabis, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the uh, scientific research that could have been happening ne never happened. Mm -hmm. And so mm. we're, we're behind the eight ball in a lot of ways on actually how do we use these compounds how do we use these substances what what are their benefits and risks and all that sort of stuff and it's like like everything right there's always pros and cons of it and i think cbd is no different but certainly there's many people that use it for many different conditions and find you know like you're saying in america it's a big wonder drug and stuff but mm -hmm. um certainly you can access it in australia it's a lot more difficult to access because you need to go through a script process but the way that that process works uh it's a bit weird like it's us about really the way that medical cannabis works. To get a script, to get a medical cannabis script, you need to have uh, some condition, some chronic condition. So it could be one of these, you know, pain, anxiety, sleep disorders, a whole bunch of Up things. Up to 140 conditions in Australia. Yeah. yeah, so there's a bunch of conditions. You need a condition. And you need to have tried some other drug like opiates or like benzodiazepines. That's ridiculous. Or, yeah, some other very, very dangerous yes. drug in yes. most cases yes. or very dangerous uh, you know, strong antidepressants and these sort of things. You have to have tried that first and decided that for some reason you don't want to use it. And then if you meet those conditions, then you can um, get a script for cannabis. But I, like, I think, um, you know, when you've got a situation where someone is wanting pain relief, you know, to my mind, like cannabis should probably be one of the first things that you try rather than opiates. It's, a like, it's very natural. Everyone yeah. knows how dangerous oh, opiates are. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, people... People have this image of, you know, people shooting up heroin and stuff like that. But in reality, most people who are addicted to opiates were prescribed them That's by right. their doctor, right? right? And um, it's a very serious thing. And, and if there's other things that are less harmful, like cannabis, that might actually work for them, then by all means, they should be able to try it, surely. And it's the same with these other things. Anxiety, they pres prescribe Valium, benzodiazepines, oh, right? Mm -hmm. Very, very dangerous and addictive drugs. Uh, sleep disorders, you know, again, you've got um, benzos and all sorts of other drugs that we, we have very good understanding of the serious harms of those drugs. Um, you know, it seems the, crazy that, you know, cannabis is the last resort rather than the first. It's been demonized for so long. You, you know, uh, in the US, they're detecting opiates now in the wa wastewater supply. Yeah, on, and fentanyl, because so there's so many illicit What's drugs that fentanyl, fentanyl Oh, The cartels have been putting fentanyl in the drugs that cross the border yeah. because it makes people feel like they're getting a better high but it can just 
kill you very, so really, very, very oh, quickly. Really, really, really strong opiate. Yeah, and so Way people test for fentanyl in their drugs now because it's such a huge problem in America. So you're going out for a night, they buy drugs, so they test first to make sure there's no fentanyl in it, and then when there's fentanyl in it, they flush it. So there is huge amounts of fentanyl in the water mm. in especially California. But thought- fentanyl as well is a product of prohibition because... Yeah. The, the laws of economics, right? Yeah. If you're smuggling a drug, yeah. you want to smuggle the highest yes. potency yes. in the smallest amount. Yes. That's what fentanyl offers. Like you compare it to heroin, like the, you know, it's, I can't remember how many times, like I think it's like 100 times more powerful than heroin or something. Yeah. So much less volume, easier to smuggle. This is what's caused this is, is prohibition. I thought yeah. fent- you, after a high, so fentanyl would be something that they're not flushing, that they're looking for. No, because fentanyl in very, very small quantities can kill you. Just like we're talking like pinhead size quantities, okay. like your it's respiratory system will just shut down. It's a very dangerous okay. drug. And there was, a, there was a, a, a lot of people involved in drug law reform in Australia and Victoria have been very worried about the prospect of you know fentanyl coming here, and I, it's I know here. You, like it's here, but there was like a huge um, bust of fentanyl coming into the country recently that they stopped. But um, yeah, I don't want to see that happen in Victoria. Like it's it's a very very dangerous thing. We sell a very large amount of fentanyl testing kits yeah, at right. work now yeah. too. Cool. All right. So let's move to the legalities in Australia of cannabis. Uh, we well, First of all, there's a global movement. There's a global movement of, uh, what, there's 31 United Nations agencies, World Health Organization, UNICEF, High Commission of Human Rights. They are all promoting the legal regulation of drugs to move them from being a criminal matter to being a health matter. Uh, keeping in mind, we've already seen this with like tobacco and alcohol and other pharmaceuticals. Decriminalisation is not a new thing. Even the New South Wales Special Commission of Inquiry into ICE recommends decriminalisation, as does the Queensland Productivity Commission. And in ACT today, I am going to plug an account called Untangled Politics. Have you have you seen this on Instagram? I don't think I have. Untangled Politics is a uh, young. They, I don't know who they are, but they appear young. But they do a good job, like Voice for Victoria, but a bit more. Um, a bit more broad. Uh, they are reporting that the ACT has legalized drugs uh, as of t- mm. today. In, in 12 months' time, will come into oh, effect. Decriminalized. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Decriminalized. Sorry. Don't want to confuse people. It did say legalized on there, though. I saw it. Yeah, yeah. It says well, kind of. They've decriminalized. They're doing a bit of clickbait. Well done. They've decriminalized heroin, cocaine, and speed. These are. This is a triggering thing for the conservative Australians. Under the new law, people found with personal possession of those crazy drugs will be subject to fines, but not criminal charges. I agree with that. Uh, the ACT is the first jurisdiction to decriminalize drugs in the country after previously legalizing personal use of cannabis. And this comes into effect in 12 months. And there you go. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. So the ACT health minister says, Rachel Stephen Smith says, the new law is about ensuring that those people who have a small amount of drugs in their possession for personal use are treated with a health response, not a criminal response, which is the lines of that are blurred in Victoria. But in principle, yes, I like I like it. I like it. I think it's good. good. Yeah. Okay. It's good progress. Controversial way to end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being here and talking about drugs for an hour. And I feel a lot more educated than I was. Um, the problem with people who haven't tried anything is we're curious. Yeah. 
But who gets to their mid-30s or 40s and then starts trying drugs? Most of us start early. I know right? people that have. I know people that have positions where they have to worry about drug use and then they've turned to things like psilocybin, microdosing how, how in their late 30s. Trigger, how does that not trigger a drug test? Oh, no, they, they don't get drug tested, yeah. but they have a career that could be ended by the knowledge that yeah. they were doing something like microdosing psilocybin. Oh, but they are. Yeah, mm. and it's I've, changed their lives. I've, I've met a lot of older people who've, um, especially with, like, they have medical conditions and they've tried medical cannabis, mm -hmm. um, you know, later in life to treat conditions and with varying success. Some of them have had, you know, miracle responses. Other ones have been disappointed. So um, you don't really know. But, yeah, I've met a lot of people who've done that later in life. I have life. a lot of people in my store. I had a guy that had been deployed in Afghanistan. Yes. And he came home with awful post-traumatic stress disorder. What, and what did he try? He hadn't left his house for three years. Whoa. And then they put him on a full spectrum oil, which is a mixture of THC and CBD. And his second time out of the house, he had come into my shop to look around and to see what was going on. Because prior to that, he was a good soldier. He was very straight, very conservative, would never have dreamt of taking drugs. And he was in the city and like an ambulance went past with the sirens going and he said, if I had heard that before I started this, like I would have been under my covers. And it was just, it was amazing. So there yeah. are more people coming into the shop where it is life-changing for them as well and they've never done it before. That's a new thing. I've heard a lot of stories of people uh, recover from PTSD mm -hmm. very quickly from mm -hmm. experiences with uh, DMT, psilocybin, magic mushrooms, all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. Hardcore I, I actually did a live stream with, with a veteran um, last week on a, on a cannabis related issue. They were a medical cannabis patient. This is another uh, issue to do with cannabis is around roadside drug testing. I'm not sure if, I think you're, you might be across this issue maybe, Matt, but- um, The live stream you did where he's on medical yep. script, but he gets screwed over through Wild. blood tests. Uh, yeah, tests. so the, 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 the issue is, and this is something I'm very passionate about, but the, the issue is that with blood alcohol testing, when you do the blow thing, in, um, there's a very good concentration, a very good correlation between someone who's over 0.05 and someone who's impaired to drive, yes. right? When they do the saliva test, oral saliva testing for um, drugs, it doesn't test impairment at all. All That's it tests right. is whether it's Present. in your system. Yeah. And so... Many medical cannabis patients uh, live in fear of losing their license if they had some medicine the night before and the next day they can get busted, even though they're totally un not, not impaired, they're totally fine to drive, yes. not a danger to anyone. Yes. So back to the harm principle, they're not yes. putting anyone at danger. And yes. don't get me wrong, if someone is impaired, they shouldn't be on the road and sure. they should be punished. Sure. But these people are not impaired. There's no claim that they're impaired. And yet they're losing their license and getting fines and stuff. And for people who live in regional areas, this can be catastrophic to their lifestyle. You know, like they can't get to the supermarket even. Mm -hmm. But even in city areas, it's very, very um, bad thing. The, we need to change the laws so that they test for impairment. So doing these ones? Yeah, and, and there are some, for, for some reason, um, there's only about 800 police that are actually trained to do the impairment test. Um, Walk on a line or something? 
Yeah, it's like what you would imagine. Yeah, yeah. so you walk in a straight line, you um, close your eyes and touch your nose. I've actually got a copy of the test. Okay. I can maybe send it to you if you're interested, but it's pretty much what you'd expect, that sort of thing. Um, but they don't do it very often. Like there's, I can't remember the number, but there's very few people. So there's two offences. There's one's called drug driving and one's called drug driving while impaired. Drug driving while impaired is a very serious offence. You lose your licence uh, for a longer period of time and bigger fines and all that sort of stuff. But very few people get charged with that. Most people just get charged with um, drug driving alone and there's no claim made that they're impaired, which I think is totally unjust. I think uh, yeah. it's f I'm fine if they want to use those saliva tests as like a, as like a screen, yeah. but mm -hmm. they have to fail an impairment test as well, I think. Um, yeah. Just that by itself yeah, is totally unjust. That's true. One of my staff members actually provided me with a letter from his doctor that could be used, like it still, it won't, if you've got the wrong police officer, it won't matter, but it was a letter that he could use in the case of driving, but also use if he was smoking when he's at work, like not on the premises, but he goes away. And so if anything happened, I have that letter in the shop. Because he has a medical use. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily going to... Uh, it'll be okay, like, if you get caught consuming it, mm. um, that would yeah. most likely be okay um, because you've got that letter and the prescription and everything. It should be legal. Mm. But um, if you get uh, roadside drug tested, yeah. then uh, absolutely, you know, it's up to the police because, you know, they could use their discretion and say it's okay maybe, but... Um, it, it, it's you know like in the case that I, I I spoke this person I spoke to the other day, they actually passed. They were in an accident. There was no claim that they were at fault. Someone smashed into the back of them. They had a uh, blood alcohol test, so breathalyzer mm. test. They also had an oral saliva test, which they also passed. They passed that oral saliva test for cannabis. But he mentioned to the police officer that he was a cannabis patient. One of the other police officers heard that. They dragged him off to the hospital to do a blood test, which, is, of course, is much more sensitive and yeah. picked it up that he'd had it the night before. So he was clear on both of those tests and still lost his license. He's been fighting it for 18 months so now. you tell the cops nothing. Wild. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, this guy was just trying to be honest and do the right thing. And I imagine I some of that. the people that no. you were talking to with those letters, they mm. were sort of hoping you might get a nice policeman. Yeah. yeah. You rely, look, all of us have had legal training know as nice as they are, even if you're my mate, if you pull me over and you're my, you're my mate now, if you pull me over as a cop, I'd be like, sorry, David, I'm telling you nothing, nothing. Name, you tell and me name and address. That's yeah. it. I'm not trying to appeal to your, the better angels of your nature because that is not how our law system is set up. It is set up to catch you and they can basically lie to you and entrap you. Okay. Uh, let's sum up with a cartoon uh, or an image, a meme. Uh, <laughs> the police, this is how they treat medical users of uh, marijuana. And it would be nice if they treated the real crimes like corrupt politicians in the same way, but instead they, I think if you're in Victoria, you'll see this is exactly what's going on right now with IBAC and WorkSafe and, oh, please, let's just stop spending so much resources chasing down these people. All right. I think I was actually there at the one in the top. No. <laughs> I think, I can't quite tell because it's a fuzzy image, but um, I went They all to, look the same. I went to one of the 420 rallies and there was a, I think it, is, it was this guy. Um, they had dogs and stuff and he 
like they were asking him about it and he pulled out his, he had his jar with a prescription <laughs> on it. Yep. And he said, look, I'm a medical user. I've got a prescription and stuff. And they just like, they were laying into him and dragged him off and arrested him. But like he was, as far as I'm aware, like that was legit. So, I mean, it was pretty awful stuff. It's interesting. Again, another Andrews government slash Andrews police force situation. In 2019, the last 420 rally that was on, there was tens of thousands of people there. It was totally chill. It was one of the best days my shop had ever had in history. In 2019. Oh no, it was pretty. I was there too. And there was some really bad stuff that happened there. Oh really? Well, yeah, tens of thousands a, of people. So there's, there's a big crowd. Different there was things. a young girl that got, um, she, I think she was a 15 year old. She got arrested and punched in the back of the head by oh, the police. God. Yeah, it was pretty awful. We brought it up in parliament. I was really upset about it. You're trying to make the case that um, they were good when you say, no, they were never good. No, <laughs> the people were good, the police. No, no, the police, the police. Oh, it was policed so heavily at the yeah. most recent one that it was just, yeah. people just went, what's the point? Yeah. Like that whole vibe, like we can never have a public demonstration of any kind in a, in a Victoria ever again, unless it's like sanctioned by the government. I, I went to that one as well and I was shocked. They had mounted police, they yeah. had sniffer dogs, they had Just recently. It was like a lockdown everywhere. protest was, for a yeah, 420 April rally. This year. Yeah, it was like... April 20th. It was terrifying. Like I, I was just looking around, there's just cops everywhere. And that, that was where that, that guy got dragged away. Mm -hmm. um, but okay. he, he, he was legal. He was le legit. He was legal. That doesn't so. matter. That doesn't matter. Well. Hey, thank you for watching. Uh, if you like our stuff, and you should because it's good, uh, go to discernible.locals.com and support us. The people there paying to be part of our paid community means we do this for free. All right, would you like to plug anything before you go? Uh, you should go first because LDP vote for you. There, done. Is that good? Okay. Is that good? Is that, no, is there anything you want to promote to the people watching? Look, I think if you've, if you've been watching this and um, I'm hoping that maybe we've changed your view on this or, or at least softened your view on the, on the idea around cannabis, um, certainly uh, have a look. I'm, I'm happy to talk with people about this, but um, definitely the Liberal Democrats are supporting uh, both the legalization of cannabis and changes to our roadside drug testing laws. Uh, if you'd like to talk more about it, I'm, I'm happy to meet with you, but I'll, I'll be doing more live streams on this. But if you support these issues, then please get behind the LDP in November. Links to David's uh, website and socials are in the description of wherever this video appears. Corinne. Thank you for being here. And thank you for supporting Discernible for so long. We have such a broad, you know, we have vegans, meat eaters, left, right, pro-drug and uh, conservatives who would think you're crazy. <laughs> We're a broad church. Yes, I'm a weird one. No, I'm you, politically you're... homeless at this point. Yeah, I think most of us from Discernible <laughs> are. Hey, so yes, do you would you like to plug anything? People need to go to smokedreams.com. Yeah, go to smokedreams.com.au, uh, Instagram, smoke underscore dreams underscore au, but also just come and check out the shop whilst you're in the city. It's not like a what people's idea, like a preconceived idea of what a smoke shop would be. It's very welcoming. It's very I'm gonna come and check it airy out. Airy and fun and it's just a dynamic dynamic place. Okay. So I'll come and check it out because I am intimidated even by the name because I haven't smoked anything. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to get but you've you've normalized it for me. Thank you. I'll come and check it out. Links to smoke drinks will be in the description below. And we'll end with a quote, of course. Hey, have a good week and remember that the best time this is a Chinese proverb, right? Uh, the best time to plant an oak tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. So don't worry so much about what we haven't done and you know, 
We need to catch up on some of these things. Let's just get it right from here on out. Have a good week. Thank you.